You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean. I'm a pastor at City Church. We're in a series called Stuck in the Middle, where we're looking at the reality of trying to live our lives faithfully for Jesus in between the two comings of Christ. The first being Christmas, uh, when the word became flesh, as the Bible said, and dwelt among us, uh, that God came to be with his people, and then we're waiting in the meantime for the second coming of Christ, when one day Jesus will return for his church and make all things new. Now in the meantime, here we are, trying to live faithfully for Jesus in the middle of that reality, and it can be really complicated, and it can often feel like we're stuck in the middle of it. Rather than trying to pursue faithfulness in God's mission, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can just be like, I feel stuck, and this can be really hard and can be really complicated. So we've been working through this series for about seven weeks by the time we're done. We're in week five today. I'm just trying to see what it looks like scripturally and in terms of what's happening in our culture around us to live faithfully uh, in these times of being stuck in the middle. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into this. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. We are thankful for Jesus, that he came for his people, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, and one day we'll return for his church. What an amazing thing to know and believe and understand. Uh, We're just thankful for that grace. What an amazing story of your love for your people understood in Jesus Christ. On this anniversary of September 11th, I ask that you be with our nation today, you be with our leaders, our military, that you give everyone involved in decision-making wisdom that you be with the families of those who experienced just unthinkable tragedy on that day, and they will know you're near to them, and they'll, have, they'll receive your peace. May our nation, during this time, when people are so much reflecting today, uh, let them look to you and be drawn to Christ, the true answer, the way, the truth, the life, the name of Jesus. We ask that be true. And I ask that you be with all the churches in our city today, as they gather today, as we know we're not the only ones doing this, to keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city. In the name of Jesus, amen and that you be with all the Gator fans in Jesus' name. Amen, sorry. <laughs> There's a song by David Crowder. Uh, he's a Christian artist, and it goes, the chorus, is, he wrote a long time ago, and the chorus goes, it's just you and me here now. Kind of about communion with God, kind of being alone with the Lord. Kind of a weird song when you think about it, but anyways. But it goes, it's just you and me here now, and kind of says that over and over again. I'm one of those guys, when I listen to the song on the radio, I'm not a good singer at all, and I'm like, I wish I was. Like, one of those things, like, if I could have, like, a power, I'd be singing, uh, but I just don't know how and can't. But I like music, and when I'm in the car by myself, I belt. I mean, it's like the loudest singing down I-10 you've ever heard in your entire life. Uh, so not around anyone else, I get quiet. But by myself, you think I won six Grammys. At least in my mind, I did. Uh, so that song was on the radio, and I was leaving really late at night after a church event to drive to Jacksonville, where I had to speak the next morning. I had to speak really early. It's so like, I'll just leave tonight and get a hotel. And on, my, and on my way there, I'm singing that song by David Crowder. It's on like Way FM. I'm just like, it's just you and me here now just singing it. And I really had to go to the bathroom. And this is like the pre-busy B days. So we're like minimal options, okay, on I-10 to go to the bathroom. And I was just really feeling it. I really had to go. And it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm like, I have about four options. Three, I might get killed at them. And there's kind of one extra one. So so Live Oak, there was a Wendy's. So I pull over the Live Oak exit. I'm like, please be open. Please be open. Sunday night in Live Oak. I think the whole city closes at 5 regularly, so I wasn't really sure. So, So I pull up, and I just like run out of the car, run in the door. It's, it's open, praise the Lord. So I bust in the bathroom and go up to the stall because I've really got to pee. I don't know what to call it. I had to pee. Uh, so when I got there, I just kind of took a deep breath. I'm able to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to go in my pants. And I, I'm probably like you. The last song you hear on the radio, oftentimes you start singing. 
So I'm going to the bathroom and I just sing, it's just you and me here now. And all of a sudden, I heard this loud noise in the stall next to me. I'm at the urinal, what do they call it? And this dude just jumps up, busts through the door, and runs out as fast as he possibly can. A <laughs> poor guy. You never know what can happen in a bathroom. But at least one thing you could always assume before was that a man would actually be in the men's room. You ever walk in accidentally to the bathroom with the opposite gender? It's like this kind of embarrassing moment. It's like you're a guy and you're walking in the bathroom, you're, just not, you're on your phone, you're not paying attention, you walk in, then you notice like, this is the women's bathroom. And what do you do? You kind of go, oh, I'm so sorry, and you run out the door and then you tell your family later, I was in the bathroom, I actually walked in the girls' room today and your kids are like, ah, you know. Well, there's something in us that knows that's not okay. That, that knows that's wrong, that something's off in that whole understanding. It's been said that if you want to change a society, you merely need to get, to the, pu get the public to shift an idea from the category of unthinkable to policy. From unthinkable, such as a man using a women's restroom, to now policy, where in many places it's considered normal and you're allowed to do it. So we have certainly seen that reality when it comes to marriage, sexuality, and gender in our culture. And the fact we are stuck right in the middle of this revolution. If you have kids in here, I promise it's gonna be fine. I'd be fine with my kids hearing this, so I'll let you know I'm not doing anything crazy. And we're not talking about anything radical this morning. Basic Christian belief for 2,000 years, truth even before that, that goes all the way back to the beginning, we're the ones who have moved, not God. God's design for gender and sexuality are as clear in the Bible as help the poor and love your neighbor. They're as clear in the Bible as Moses parting the Red Sea and Jesus rising from the grave. We are the ones who have moved. Theo Hobson, as a sociologist, describes the three marks of a revolution. The first one is what was universally condemned is now celebrated. A man... Marrying a man is now celebrated, as an example. Number two, what was universally celebrated is now condemned. Perhaps believing that marriage is between one man and one woman. Monogamous, heterosexual, till death do them part. And number three, those who refuse to celebrate become, becomes the one who are condemned. Like, that's the sexual revolution in America in a nutshell. And you've been marketed and programmed, some even indoctrinated by media, social normalcy, education, Hollywood, working through that system, those three steps, maybe even unknowingly in your life. But for us, it's much more than about policy or about cultural change. It's about Jesus. That's what we're about is the name of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that those who reject God's blueprint and design are rejecting Jesus Christ's authority. And that is why this matters. Because that's primarily an issue of faith. Does God actually know best? Are God's words actually true? Alistair Begg, a pastor and author, said this, it's not that God's design is hard to understand. 
In fact, it is because it is so clear that it is rejected so forcibly. One man and one woman and a monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong commitment of marriage that provides the opportunity to fulfill the privileges of parenthood. It's really clear and it's really simple, yet extremely complicated here where we find ourselves in 2022, that it's so forcibly rejected that we do feel oftentimes as Christians that we're stuck right smack in the middle of it and don't know what to do. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now prior to this, all is innocent, all is pure, there has been no sin, everything was designed exactly as God created it to be. Complete innocence, unhindered communion and relationship with God, and the serpent appears. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Like, are you sure God said that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Are you like con really convinced, sure, he actually said that? Maybe you misunderstood him. Are you sure? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the, the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. In other words, yeah, God did say. That might sound like a harsh sentence, a death sentence for eating a fruit, but what this really is is rebellion against God. It's saying to the creator, no, I, I don't have what you have for me. I want what I want for me. It's complete rebellion, treason against the creator. And we're told the sentence for that is death, which for Christians, we should not reject that understanding because that's the reason why Jesus had to die. Because he became the death offering in our place so we wouldn't have to die for our sin. No, you will, not certain, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This was God wants you to live your best life before it was cool to say that. The woman saw the tree was good for food. She desired it and delightful to look at. And it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she felt like she needed to act on her desires and engage so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Total wuss, by the way. Then the eyes of both them were opened and they knew they were naked, which never would have been an issue at the time. Would have been no shame, no sin. Now they realize something's wrong here. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this first story of sin, we actually see the steps of rebellion against God. The first one is to question his words. Did God really say that? And then you move on from there. The next strategy is to alter his words. Well, he kind of did, but here's what he meant, and here's kind of how that works, and, you know, it's up for debate. And the third one, then you act out what I want to do under the personal and societal justification that it's permissible. You do you. It's not going to hurt anybody. You just do what you feel. God wants you to be happy. Those type of things. And the fourth one we've added since Genesis, and that is cast off or cancel anyone who doesn't approve of your choices, decision, and lifestyle. Jeremiah wrote this, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. He's warning about false prophets here. They are deluding you. 
They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. This is not what God has said. In fact, he said the opposite. Do not listen, he's saying, to people who are speaking words that are contrary to the word of God. So the question is, what has actually come from the Lord's mouth? What has he actually said? Well, here's Jesus in Matthew 19. And he gets historical on them when asked a question about marriage. He says, haven't you read? He replied that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. The one who rose from the grave actually believes that Adam and Eve were real people. That he who made them in the beginning, who created them, created as in his design, made them distinct, made them different, male and female. And then he gets into the point of it all. He also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. There's a union that takes place that God has designed. And it's more than sex, but it's definitely not less. Yes, there's an, a, a union of your anatomy that works perfectly together as God has designed it to between a man and a woman, but there's a union of souls. There's a oneness that takes place, and ultimately that oneness points us to a greater oneness, which is the union of Christ and the church. So this matters. So we could say that when God created marriage, he already had the gospel in mind of a bride and a groom coming together as one. And now we see that Jesus refers to the church, us, as his bride that's been brought near in oneness with him through his death and resurrection. He says, so they're no longer two but one flesh. Like that's, that's what happens in this union. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That same Jesus that said those words, here's what it says about him. That he is the image, the invisible God from the book of Colossians, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. That Jesus has said, God has a design, and it's for his glory, and it's for the gospel, and it's for our good, and it's one man and one woman united together in this institution that God has made called marriage, and do not be ashamed of it. Do not be ashamed of his design. Don't get me wrong, talking about something like this 30 years ago would have been easy. Talking about it now, I just want to throw up before I walked out here, but I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed. Because God has given us this design for his glory and for our good. And it's not the created's job to tell the creator how things are supposed to be. A Christian framework, my friend Andrew Walker writes, who's a Christian ethicist, for gender and sexuality begins with understanding that each find their origin, structure, and purpose within God's will for creation. That's why he made men and women to be different. Women get pregnant, not men. There's a reason for that. There's an origin, there's a design, it's functional. So our society, and this is why this really is a mission of love to proclaim these things. What used to be, I think, therefore I am, remember that old saying? I think, therefore I am, a little philosophical saying, has been changed to whatever I feel I am. 
So if you go against my feelings, it means, or my desires, it means you're going against me as a person. That's the belief today. So it's not a coincidence, and I get it, human nature, to want to shrink back, to alter, to change, to give in on certain things. You don't want to be viewed as someone who doesn't accept someone as a person, right? Well, biology matters. And it doesn't change regardless of what people think about themselves or feel about themselves, the amount of hormones they inject into their bodies, or their attempts to reconstruct themselves cosmetically. It does not change your biology. Walker says this, a vision for gender and sexuality that fails to satisfy the demands set forth in Genesis will be subject to endless redefinition, which is why revisionist accounts of gender and sexuality, such as same-sex marriage and gender fluidity, retain no coherent limited principle. In other words, I'm a plain simple guy, the goalposts keep moving. They keep moving every single day in this sexual revolution we're stuck in the middle of. It moved very, very quickly. I mean, so fast. Faster than the Florida quarterback threw interceptions last night. It moved very quickly. From my bedroom, my business, to the White House lighting up rainbow, to little girls share this bathroom with a boy at school, change your company, your business logo, rainbow color online in June. Wow, did it move fast. So the world says you find peace when you embrace your true self. That's where living comes from, right? That's what social media tells us. But in the Bible, you find peace when you embrace Jesus, who is the true and greatest human. We've now tied identity to sexuality and gender, so it makes sense on the surface to think it's extreme to think that someone's identity should have to change when they follow Jesus. But here's the reality. Every person's identity changes when they follow Jesus. That's what he does. He's in the identity-changing business for every single one of us. So our new identity now is that we're his, we're his we're sons and daughters of the king. We're children of God. Jesus said he's not afraid, ashamed to call us friend, brother, sister. And the reality is there is no middle when it comes to the sexual revolution. We have to fight to get out of the middle in our minds and in our hearts. Because the sexual revolution is trying to alter reality, which is playing God, kind of God dress up, role playing, taking on his role as the creator. But we have to be careful that what we're pointing to is not gotcha arguments. Those are good for group text and to help just kind of reinforce what we think and those type of things, but we gotta to point to God's design over and over again. Because showing inconsistencies doesn't get the job done. Because besides God himself, everyone has inconsistencies. We all do. But God has shown us clearly through two elements what his design is for us. The first one is nature nature. Boys and girls are different. Biologically, women get pregnant. Men do not. Plain and simple. Sexual activity works for men and women. It has to be altered and redesigned for the same gender. Like biology, natural, tells us this. You want to know what your gender is and how it's called natural, it's called natural revelation. Like the nature shows us God's design. I'm not trying to be inappropriate. If you want to know what your nature is, go home and look in the mirror and look down. 
It really is that, I know it's complicated emotionally, but physically it really is that simple. Go back, go home and look in the mirror. I did that not too long ago. When I was, my wife was standing next to me. I said, look at me now. I'm fatter than I used to be. I'm grayer. I'm, I'm hairier, than, hairier than I used to be. Gosh, I'm a mess. She goes, well, at least your uh, eyesight still works. So that was really nice. But yeah, so, that's, yeah, so he's shown us clearly through nature. And the second is he has told us through scripture. Here's 1 Corinthians 6. First scripture says, he's going back to Genesis. This is Paul writing years and years and years, infinity later. The two will become one flesh. That's the design. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, it points somewhere different. Here's people caught in sexual sin and God's telling them, you, even in your guilt and your shame, God loves you enough and gives second and third and 77 chances, you can be one with him. Like God is for you. He does not condemn you. He wants to be united to you. There's hope for you, but anyone joined the Lord is one spirit with him. So what's the response? Flee sexual morality. Run from it, because every other sin a person commits is outside the body. A person is sexually immoral sins against his own body, and we know that. Because it's never just sex, is it? You can convince yourself that. But it never was. It never was. He says, don't you know? that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And he's not, by that, that's not a verse about buying your own juicing machine. That's not what this is about. This is about sexual sin. He says, your body, whom you have from God, you're not your own. It's not my body. It's God's. You were bought at a price. So what's the response to that? Worship God, glorify God, honor God with the choices you make regarding your body when it comes to sexuality. And it's not too late for you to start doing that. So your body is a temple. It's not yours ultimately. Like, I can change my name, sure, but as a follower of Jesus, I do not have the right to change my pronoun, and you don't either. You don't. Or pretend like that's normal or okay. I don't have the right to say it's my body. I can do whatever I please. Sam Albury, a great pastor who uh, is someone who's a single man and has, has wrestled his entire life with same-sex desires, attraction, those things. But is someone who believes that Jesus Christ saves and believes the Bible is true, wants to live for Jesus. He has chosen to not live his life in a gay lifestyle. He has chosen, even though he has those desires, I can't imagine what it's like for him, but he has chosen to remain celibate. He also just totally doesn't date a man, like fully rejects the lifestyle, uh, but is honest about what he deals with. He says this, the wonderful paradox of the Christian faith is that as we deny self, we become our real selves. I mean, how far is that from you be you? It's no Jesus, I'm who you say I am. I'm denying me so I can have more of you. Who is your real self? One that belongs to the one who died for you and who rose again. See, Christian belief, very Christian 101, is that we are not our own. That we owe every aspect of our existence, our gender, our sexuality, all to Jesus Christ. But we also know that in a broken world, as in post-Genesis 3, there's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle and confusion. I don't just mean same-sex-wise. Many of you have been through that. But when God's design is taken outside of marriage, you've been hurt by adultery. You've been hurt by a divorce you didn't want. You've been hurt by a pornography addiction. Maybe something, even another level. You've been hurt by abuse. I don't know how to answer what happened to you, but here's what I do know. God is with you. He is with you. 
and he's not done with you, and he is restoring you, and he's recentering you on him, and we can stand up with him and go again because why? We're one spirit with him. God, ha God has not forgotten the broken in this broken world. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be confusion. Christians who struggle with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction, who want to live a life of discipleship and following Jesus faithfully, it can and most likely will be a very long and difficult journey. Faithful Christians have written books on their struggles and what it's been like. And, and the reality is it might not reach a happy conclusion until Jesus returns. That's just honesty. But he's worth it. And your life is worth it to follow Christ. Following, the salvation is free, but following Jesus is not cheap. It is not cheap. I don't know who first told you that following Jesus would be easy because they lied to you. Because the first result of sin in the garden we read earlier in chapter three was shame. That's what was brought about, shame. I've got to cover myself. It was shame over their exposed bodies. But that is no longer the word that, what God has for his people. God provided the covering for Adam and Eve to take away their shame. But when we take what God has given us and practice it outside of his design, it's supposed to be broken. It's not supposed to work. It's supposed to bring chaos but thankfully he restores. Like that's the business he's in. So being stuck in the middle of his first coming and the second coming understands that all is broken, including our desires and our relationships. But he is restoring, he is rebuilding, he is recentering. So the world's rules to be considered a loving person seem to get added to daily. With the latest university agenda or social media outcry, but God's love remains the same. He loves the you he has made. He loves the you that he has made. And you're not defined in that by how you feel. So people that are in the real struggle here, real struggle, that could be heterosexual relationships of just the dating world and the sexual brokenness you've been in or painful divorce or abuse or if it's someone that struggles with gender issues and same-sex issues, I just want to tell you that we're here for you. We are here for you to walk with you through this. People with an agenda who want to alter the church's teachings, we'll squash that flatter than a pancake at Village Inn. This is serious stuff. But the human being, the human being, we are for you. Because God is for you in Christ. We will not celebrate something God has condemned. But the good news in Christ is there is no condemnation for you if you're in Jesus. So embrace that. Believe that to be true. Submit your desires to the one that says there's no condemnation for you. Submit your agenda to the one that says there's no condemnation for you. Submit your life to the one who says there's no condemnation for you. And I'm burdened by the silence oftentimes of Tallahassee churches when it comes to these issues from the pulpit. And that's not me throwing shade at anybody. That's just saying that we have to talk about this. We don't talk about it every week. We're not going to be over the top with this. But, like, we're going to talk about being stuck in the middle and not going to talk about this. Because if we're not going to talk about it, guess who is? The people who already are the world, and they're shaping the agenda, and they're influencing young people. Because who wants to be called unloving and bigoted? So all they got to be told is, Does it, you know, it shouldn't matter who you love. Love is love. No one actually believes that. 
go meet somebody at the gym and come home and tell your wife love is love and see how that goes for you. See how that goes for you. No one believes that. You can't legislate morality. Every legislation is based on morality practically. It's just which ones? It's just which ones? But we're in the heart business. We care about Jesus when we care about any of those other things, even though those things matter. And we want people to know Jesus in the fullest, to know there's life in him, that he actually can change and can transform and walk with all the time struggling people like all of us are in different areas. God's for us in Christ. So let's be unashamed of the gospel and let's believe the one who rose from the grave rather than all the other ones who one day will perish. Again, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I've told you all a hundred times that my math class my senior year was called math. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But I'm going to go with the guy who was dead and came back to life. Ascended to heaven is going to return any day of the week on all issues, including the ones the cultures war at us about the most. I'm uninterested in a culture war. I'm interested in the name of Jesus going forth. And part of that is being unapologetic about God's design. God is for you. You can turn to him with your struggles, your desires, your hurts, your pains, your past, all of it. He is there to pick you up, restore you, recenter you, reorient you around him as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for the truth of the scriptures. And Lord, we just ask for your forgiveness that we've even let this issue become something that we get nervous and uncomfortable about when it's so clear, when it's so clear. So I just ask for forgiveness for those in this room that believe part of the Bible that they like and throw out the ones they don't or the ones that are silent about it. Lord, I don't want to be an offensive person. But most of all, I don't want to offend you. So let me refuse to go quietly, but to go with conviction and compassion at the exact same time. Let us be people who are clear, who are convictional, and who are compassionate, and who are convinced there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So more than anything else, we ask people we turn to Jesus. We don't expect people who aren't Christians to act like they are. Lord, we ask you add people to the number of those who are being saved. And they will see that you are the one who can change everything. And that you are worth following. And that we matter a whole lot to you as your image bearers. Let us find our identity in that. That we are the people of God who bear your image. Let us be faithful to who you are and what you've said. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together.